You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It is time. It is time. They can't win the Packers. No. Are you crazy? Listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. Good morning, I guess good afternoon for you guys. Um, man, the news is flying in so quickly. I'm recording this at the Crack It On on Wednesday. And probably anything I have to say about the Aaron Rodgers situation is already going to be old news and outdated by the time this episode gets aired. So I'm not going to talk very much about that, but I did want to highlight a nice little piece written by Bill Huber because he answered or asked a question that uh, I've really been wondering. The Jets, it seems, uh, have been the ones most likely leaking this information about Oh, the Packers are going to have to, um, you know, eat some of, of, of Rogers additional salary cap in order to get anything substantial in, back in a trade. And, and I think that a lot of that is, uh, you know, negotiating, trying to get themselves better positioned, uh, you know, and, and, and put some sort of pressure on the Packers to fold and give in to some of their demands. Okay. But I've been wondering, well, how much are we actually going to get in exchange for Rodgers? There's not seemingly any other teams besides the Jets who are in the mix. The Raiders seem to have removed themselves from the equation. I don't think, I'm not hearing anything from uh, the Panthers camp that they are in, it really sounds like the, the Panthers are going to try and uh, make a move for one of the rookies in this draft class. The Dolphins have said that they are out. The Colts seem to be saying that they are out. Um, the the suitor pool seems to be shrinking. I, I still am a little bit surprised that the Panthers are not in on this, but whatever. So with only one team in the mix for Aaron Rodgers, seems like advantage Jets, that you have extra leverage against the Packers. Because who else are they going to go to? But Bill Huber uh, got on the phone with a, quote, top NFL executive who's been part of putting together trades. Now, I don't know, is this somebody like Andrew Brandt? Uh, is this a former GM? Is it a current GM? I don't know. My impression is that Bill Huber is relatively well-connected. Um, I I have to guess, just based on the way he writes, I think that he has interviewed this individual before in his articles, and it's, it's always unnamed. But, you know, and, and I'd be a little bit disappointed if it's like, if it is Andrew Brandt, but I, I think Andrew Brandt actually would be fine putting his name on this and, and would not 
uh, require to be unnamed. That makes me think it's a current NFL executive. So, two-part question. What should the Packers be asking in return for Rodgers? And what should the Jets offer? Quote, even with the assumption that the Jets are the only team involved in trade talks and Gutekunst is unable to put together a bidding war, this executive thought the Packers would get back a first-round pick. Gutekunst should be asking for a first-round pick and either a fourth-round pick or a player on a rookie deal who's good. I, I will tell you, I think just about everybody would rather have a good rookie uh, than a fourth round pick. I feel like the fourth round pick is, is like past that cutoff point where, <laughs> I mean, I, I would probably rather have, I would definitely rather have a first round pick than a good rookie. Uh, but you know, second round pick probably in that, that questionable territory. I think that that is about an equal value in my eye, a second round pick or a rookie. A uh, player on a rookie deal who's good. All right. From Doug, uh, from the Jets' perspective, general manager Joe Douglas should be offering a first-round pick with some type of kickback or ask Gudikins to pay the contract in order to get a first. Under the first scenario, Gudikins could take a 2023 first-rounder and a 2024 fourth-rounder. That fourth-rounder could become a third-rounder if Rodgers leads the Jets to the playoffs, or a second-rounder if Rodgers returns for the 2024 season. This is roughly what I have been anticipating all along, was that whatever team we ended up doing business with was going to insist that some of the compensation be conditional on Rodgers returning in 2024. I, I have always assumed that that was going to be a thing. The news that the Jets are wanting the Packers to eat some of the salary cap, that I never saw coming. <laughs> that one kind of surprised me. Uh, but the Jets are not in a great salary cap situation. They can get into a better one, um, but it makes sense that they are feeling the pinch right now. But I, I'm sorry, if you are the uh, team that's built to win now and you are bringing in an aging quarterback, I'm not really interested in helping you uh, save your salary cap in the future by damaging mine. I, we are the team that is rebuilding. You're the team that is uh, trying to go all in to try and win a Super Bowl here. It does not make sense for us to murder our cap to leave you in a healthier cap situation for, for the future. I don't get that. But I, I understand the Jets trying to make that happen. I just don't think that Gutekunst should give in to that. Okay. Continuing on, because I, I do, I really like this article. Under the second scenario, this is the one, I'll, I'll, I'll reread this part. What the Jets should be asking for, a first round pick with some type of kickback or ask Goody to pay the contract down in order to get a one. Under that scenario, think the opposite. With the kickback pick coming in 2024 and sliding in value depending on whether Rodgers plays another season. 
The financial component comes from Rogers' contract calling for a 2023 payout of more than $59 million. Jets owner Woody Johnson has plenty of money, but why not push the envelope if the Packers really do want to turn the page to Jordan Love? I just don't understand this very much. I really don't. I I don't understand the, the perspective, seemingly, from the Jets that they are doing the Packers a favor by taking a Hall of Fame quarterback off of your hands. I don't get that. Like I, I think that the Packers want to move on from Jordan Love. I also don't think that they feel like they need to move on to Jordan Love right now. I don't think that they feel, feel that they're in that situation at all. The Jets are acting like the Packers are just desperate to get Rodgers out of here to save their salary cap. And so we'll take him off your hands in exchange for you making your salary cap situation even worse. I don't, I don't get this at all. This does not make any sense to me. <clears throat> Just that line of thinking. It's highly illogical. Continuing on. If Gudikins can secure the Jets' 13th pick to pair with his 15th pick, he'd be in a strong position in this year's draft, which lacks a lot of high-end talent but has plenty of depth. Gudikins could hold steady and get two quality first-rounders. Depending on free agency, the Packers could have major needs at defensive line, tight end, receiver, and safety, as well as outside linebacker and offensive line. Of note, that 13th pick has a rich history of big guys. In fact, of the last 10 choices at that slot, five have been spent on defensive tackles, four on offensive linemen, and one on a pass rusher. All nine players selected from 2013 through 2021 have been picked for at least one Pro Bowl. That list includes nine-time Pro Bowler and seven-time All-Pro Aaron Donald. That's cool. Six players have been inducted into the Hall of Fame, including tight ends Tony Gonzalez and Kellen Winslow. If he wanted to get crazy, he could package number 13 and number 15. According to a trade value chart, I bet this is the Rochelle. Yep, it is. The Packers could take those picks and move all the way up to number three, plus get a third rounder. That could net them the best non-quarterback in the draft. Which, that's a fun debate. Who is the best non-quarterback in the draft? Because you would have said Jalen Carter, uh, but now with his uh, legal troubles that he has to navigate, totally plausible that a lot of teams, and the Packers are totally the type of team that would fall into this camp, Totally plausible a lot of teams would get scared off by him, meaning maybe you're talking Will Anderson. Uh, let's see here. Gudikins could package number 13 and the Packers second round pick at number 45 and move up to number five. All right. The rest of this is just a bunch of, uh, you know, the Packers trading up into the draft, yada, yada. But I like the perspective here. Um from this anonymous NFL executive who one, one of the things that, um, that I heard uh, a couple, couple of weeks ago regarding the quarterbacks in this draft class, somebody said the best way to get an unbiased opinion about just how good a, a quarterback draft class is is to ask the teams who don't need quarterbacks. And, and I, I like the idea of that. I like, you know, getting that educated perspective from, you know, 
GMs who are still going to do their due diligence and, and research on uh, on these quarterbacks, but have no vested interest in either taking them or in playing games with which ones they might be taking. <clears throat> and uh, and and by the way, the the answer that I had heard then uh, as the follow up to that was that C.J. Stroud probably is the first quarterback off the board. This is just what I had heard. Um, and Bryce Young scares a lot of teams because of his size. And then Will Levis and Anthony Richardson not actually viewed as highly as a lot of us think that they are. So anyways, just found that interesting. But again, I, I like this, like talking to an NFL executive who is not intimately involved here who you know who's not representing the Packers or the Jets or presumably any other interested team I don't think Bill Huber would be you know oh I'll call up the you know the Raiders and <laughs> get their opinion on what the Jets should do with Aaron Rodgers I he, Huber probably called somebody like oh man I don't even know who to say because usually my go-tos for like a super neutral party are like the Colts but the Colts actually need a quarterback and are are uh, involved here. I don't know. Call the Chiefs. Call the Chiefs or the, or the Bills. Oh, the Bills. That'd be perfect. Call the Bills. Okay. Uh, Jordan Love. Seen on social media. Dara Carragher, who used to be involved with Packernet. Super good guy. Posted video. I don't know where he gets this. Dara is always finding like current video of Jordan Love and posting it. I don't know where he gets it. But he found video of Jordan working out with quarterback coach Steve Calhoun, who has been making the media rounds. This dude has talked to everybody in the world. I don't know if he is just trying to cash in on how hot Jordan's name is right now because of the uh, drama and speculation about is Jordan going to be the starter this year or whatever, or if he's just really is just lobbying for Jordan. I don't know, but he has been talking to every podcaster, every writer, you name it. Here's footage of Jordan throwing the ball to Steve Calhoun and man, he just, he looks like the real deal. I mean, I know it's just stupid drills he's thrown against air to a guy who's not even running routes. But we have seen Jordan doing these kinds of drills for years. We know what it looks like when he's doing these. This is different. I can't get over how much taller Jordan has been looking to me this past year. I don't, I, I think it was when he came out against the Eagles. And he walked onto the field, and I was just like, holy, he looks bigger. I, I think that there, there's a couple things. Well, I think there's one thing. I think that his shoulders are noticeably wider and more manly. Why does that make him look taller? I don't know. <laughs> but but I think it does. <clears throat> he also has changed his hair slightly. <clears throat> and I didn't notice this until I was going back and looking at some uh older video of him back uh, his his rookie season with the Packers and when he got drafted and I was like oh man that he he looks really different than 
how I'm used to seeing him now. And so I compared it against uh, current photos. He's, he's changed his hair and his facial hair has been uh, considerably longer recently. Anyways, none of this is important. What is important <clears throat> is the way he's throwing the football. I, I think his accuracy is not, is not, uh, elite, elite. It's, it's good enough. He's putting the ball in a good spot. It's not like pinpoint. When you would watch Rogers throw in these kinds of drills, he was consistently just like in a bucket. Like the guy he's throwing to just doesn't have to move his feet at all. That's not really going on here. Uh, Steve Calhoun, who Roger, or who Love is throwing to, is, I would say every sixth pass or so, he's got to take about a half step to a full step, uh, to the side in order to catch the ball. And that's not terrible, but it is slightly different from when you watch Rogers do it. But I like Jordan's base. His feet are always apart. Uh, seems like these drills are accentuating having him throw off platform, uh, having him, you know, here, scramble to the right and then stop real quick, flip your hips and throw, uh, you know, across the field, the other direction. I will tell you, here's what, here's why this is exciting. The zip, the Jordan's got a big arm. The, the zip on this ball just, just flies across the field. Just bam. And as Packer fans watching 30 years of Hall of Fame quarterback play, you know, there comes a point where you're, you're not impressed by like routine perfect, routine perfection. And, and Jordan does still have a little ways to go. Oh, uh, Steve Calhoun had to take probably like three steps to the right to catch that ball. But I think that, I think Jordan's going to be good. I don't know if he's going to be great his first year as a starter, but Rodgers wasn't either. Um, I'm willing to give him some time for some growing pains. I just, I think he looks like the real deal. I think he looks dramatically different than what we've seen because we've seen a lot of Jordan love since 2020 and this is just different. He looks like a man thrown out there. He doesn't look like a, a boy anymore for a long time. He just looked like a boy and it was so hard for me to like wrap my head around and like, you know, really pretend and imagine like, Oh yeah, this he'll be the starting quarterback someday. And I'm just like, Oh gosh, I don't feel that anymore. He looks like a grown man. He looks, I, I, I like how big he looks because it looks to me like he could stay in the pocket and take a hit. I, I really think he could. He's got a little bit of bulk to him now. Still looks like he's super mobile, but he's got good poise. He always, I thought, had a good sense of calm, you know, projected some calm. Um, I, that, that Kansas city game was interesting because he looked like he felt calm a lot of the day, but he was not like projecting the calm to his teammates and they were a hot mess. They were all over the place. Uh, it, it seemed in that game, like he was very focused on 
you know, on himself and trying to do a good job. And when you watch him play now, and I'm, I'm really just referring to the Eagles game because that's kind of all we have to go off of, but, but also the preseason tape from the 2022 season, he projects that calm. He's in control of, you know, the, of, of the huddle, the line of scrimmage. He's up there. He's moving guys around. And there is, there's just this authoritative calmness to him that I really like that, that I kind of need to see in my starting quarterback. Rogers has for the most part really always been good at that. Obviously there are times when he gets rattled and it is very, very different. Uh, but I think that Jordan has, uh, this, this thing that he does when he's moving guys around that he kind of makes it look like a conductor and an orchestra. <laughs> and, and it's probably just Jordan's mannerisms that remind me of that, but it's very, mm, 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 you over here, you here, this is a well-oiled machine and we are going hike. Uh, one more Jordan love thing. Mike Martz, uh, former offensive coordinator, uh, former head coach, Quarterbacks coach, he, I guess, went and wrote for or talked to the 33rd team and had some stuff to say about Jordan Love. From what I've seen of this kid, I'd hang on to him. I'd bet the ranch on this guy. I was dumbfounded when I saw him. Just watching him, I've never been so shocked or taken by a guy at first glance as I was with Jordan Love. Blah, 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 background about Mike Martz, how he was the offensive coordinator for the Rams when they won the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 34. Uh, several years prior, he was the Rams quarterback's coach for three years, worked closely with Jim Everett, Chris Miller, and Chris Chandler. Blah, 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 a bunch of other quarterbacks he worked with. Across a nearly four-decade coaching career, Martz has seen just about anything and everything pertaining to quarterbacks, good or bad. Thank you, Paige, for reloading. There we go. Uh, what he does with the ball is a lot like Aaron Rodgers does. He's really quick and accurate like Aaron was. He moves better than Aaron does at this age. He's not going to be overwhelmed with anything because he's been in the program for three years. He understands the offense intimately. And that's a really, really big deal for a guy in his first start. He's very strong in the legs. He sets himself all the time to throw and uses his legs very well. That's important because that's consistency and accuracy and all of those things. The legs are a big deal. He's calm in the pocket. He's got a great presence. I actually didn't read as far as this um, until just now. I was just reading the part where he was saying I'd, I'd bet the ranch on him. They've invested three years for him in the same system. I think you hang on to him. Do whatever you can. Whether it's another... One or two years down the road, I think he'll end up being a good player for the Packers. So hopefully you're excited about Jordan Love. I am. Uh, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about first round tight ends. And the reason we're going to do that is because I've had multiple people message me recently complaining about all the first round tight ends being mocked to the Packers and explaining away their frustration with, well, the first-round tight ends never pan out. Look at Kittle and Kelsey and Andrews. They're all, 
you know, whatever, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks. So ad break right now. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. And we're back. Uh, so, uh, tight ends. Let's see. At Clay Curry 52 Tater12 on Twitter, sent in a question to me. Who do you think our best fit is realistically in the first round? Since Goody took over, he's only taken one person in the first two rounds under a 9 RAS. That would be Darnell Savage. So what about Nolan Smith? I don't know who else fits the bill in the first round, barring offensive line. Maybe we trade back. He sent a list of guys he's interested in here. Nolan Smith, outside linebacker from Georgia. Peter Skaronsky, offensive tackle from Northwestern. Brian Brzee, defensive tackle Clemson. Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver Ohio State. Lucas Van Ness, defensive end Iowa. Christian Gonzalez, cornerback Oregon. And Joey Porter Jr., quarterback from Penn State. He says, so based on Goody's RAS and positional preference, I would hedge a bet that our first round pick comes from this list. All those players have an eight or higher RAS. I left out tight end because we just don't utilize a tight end enough for me to say we'll take one at 15. Sidney Brown fits the bill at safety, but again, probably not at 15. Chris Giacome at Extrapolated on Twitter sent me a message. I guess I'm more wary about tight ends in the first round because guys like Kittle, Kelsey, and Andrews were all drafted later in the draft cycle. Uh, that projecting tight end talent has been difficult for evaluators. I guess it would be for that reason that I really like the idea of trading back to get one later in the first, second, or craft in the third, or while in the fourth. While, what's Wiles' first name again? That's right, Josh Wile from Cincinnati. He did not grade out very well. The best grade he had was pass blocking at a 76. Um, everything else was... Basically a 69. Uh, let's see here. Uh, those later two look like quality contributors. And looking at rookies from this draft class, I think fourth round Daniel Bellinger's tape was just as good or better than second round Trey McBride. It's a tough call. I suppose we just got to pray to the NFL draft gods and say, in Goot we trust. So here's what I wanted to look up. Uh, and that is... First round tight ends. How have they done? Here's the full complete list. Every tight end drafted in the first round since 2000. Looks like this list uh, is in like reverse alphabetical 
not reverse alphabetical, reverse chronological order. So we're going to start with, because uh, this article was written in 2021, which is good because I'm not super interested in the guys who were drafted just last year uh, because we don't know yet if they're going to be good NFL players. It's too soon. So uh, he starts off saying the Falcons used the number four pick in the 2021 NFL draft on Kyle Pitts. This is uh, Mark Urban who compiled this list. The highest a tight end has ever been selected, and only the second time one has been taken in the top five. But as rare as it may be to use a first-round pick on a tight end, most analysts have had nothing but good things to say about Atlanta's pick. In fact, Pitts looks like one of the surest things in this draft class. Now, two years later, what do we know about how the Kyle Pitts uh, pick has been aging? Well, in 2021, Kyle Pitts was extremely good. In 2022... They didn't throw to him hardly at all. And when they did, he had one of the lowest catchable rates of any uh, offensive skill player in the NFL. Marcus Mariota was awful. He had the, he had the, I think, second worst uh, catchable pass rate in the NFL. And when he was targeting Kyle Pitts, less than half of the pass, passes that were thrown towards Kyle Pitts were deemed catchable. So it wasn't, it, that is not a Kyle Pitts issue. If the ball is thrown in such a way that it is not possible for, for you to catch it, no matter what you do, that is not your fault. <laughs> We So we, it's a little inconclusive at this point. Is Kyle Pitts good? We think he is. We think he is. But they got to get him a quarterback who can throw the ball anywhere near him. And then they do need to throw to him. So uh, hopefully uh, 2023, uh, they just use Kyle Pitts, you know, in a halfway smart way. Uh, everybody who... Uh, played fantasy football, had their eyes squarely fixed on what the heck was going on in Atlanta. Why in the freaking world are they doing this with Kyle Pitts? But his rookie season, he seemed really, really, really good. Working backwards, though, before Kyle Pitts. Uh, in 2019, the Denver Broncos took Noah Fant at pick 20. I've never been a Noah Fant fan or believer. However, he hasn't been awful. And one of the things you're going to consistently see as we go through this list is you're going to see a bunch of tight ends. You're like, well, I mean, that guy's not great, but I, I guess he's one of the better tight ends, but he's not elite. And the problem is there's only like three or maybe four tight ends in the league who are elite Kittle Kelsey Mark Andrews and sometimes Darren Waller although it seems like that is uh less and less frequent now so you're talking out of 32 teams who all need at least two tight ends there's three and a half good tight ends in the league so keep that in mind as we go through this because <clears throat> we are going to list <clears throat> Outside of the, uh, outside of the big three, we are going to list 
basically every quality tight end in football. 2019 at pick eight, TJ Hawkinson to the Detroit Lions. Hawkinson has been very, very good. I would say outside of that big three and a half, the very clear next best tight end has been TJ Hawkinson. 2018, Hayden Hurst, picked by the Baltimore Ravens at pick 25. Hurst has been up and down. In general, I I think you would say he's, um, you know, more easily classified as a good tight end than a bad tight end. Um, but, I mean, he, he has uh, jumped around to a couple different teams now. 2017. Picked at pick 29 by the Cleveland Browns, David Njoku. Now, I just want you to notice something. Like, David Njoku, probably the worst tight end I've listed so far. It's got to be either him or Noah Fant. But, like, Packer fans have been clamoring for David Njoku for a long time. Like, Njoku's not a bad tight end. He's He's a good tight end. He's still probably the worst tight end I've listed here out of these five guys. Now I'm gonna say Noah Fant is. I I never liked Noah Fant. I didn't like him as a draft prospect. I don't. I've never liked him. Still going through this list, like Hayden Hurst, David Njoku. How excited would you have been at any point if the Packers had traded for one of these guys? You would have been ecstatic and over the moon because they are clearly way better than any tight end we have had in Green Bay, like ever. Um. You know, no offense to Mercedes Lewis. Uh, pick 23 in the 2017 class. This is a guy who I, I would say at this point in his career, I, I think he's been bad, <laughs> but he's had a couple good years. I think he's had two or three good years total since 2017 when he got drafted. Evan Engram. Again, like there's just not a lot of good tight ends out there. But would you put Evan Engram in sort of this upper tier of like, okay, fine, yes, he's not good, like he's he's not great, like you know Travis Kelsey, but he's a better tight end. He's the type of tight end who you would expect some team to make kind of a, a big splash trade for him at some point. And you're like, okay, be curious to see, you know, what they're trying to do. They're they're clearly clearly trying to do something interesting and spicy here on offense. Every single one of these tight ends is either somebody who is so good like TJ Hawkinson that it would be kind of unthinkable that they get traded, except that Hawkinson did get traded and that kind of shocked everybody, like massively shocked everybody. Or they have been a... Uh, potential trade target floated around every single year for the Packers. Oh, you could go after uh, David Njoku. You go after this next guy who's on the list, OJ Howard, pick 19, 2017 class. The, the, the OJ Howard hype has died down a little bit in the last, I would say two years, but he was the hottest trade name in 2020. Of anybody. This was the guy that everybody wanted the Packers to go trade for. All right. Pick number 10 in the 2014 class by the Detroit Lions. Uh, 
the biggest loser on the list, no doubt. Eric Ebron. Don't. <laughs> I I don't understand the fascination from some people who are not in the NFC North with Eric Ebron. I have never heard Packer fans asking for Ebron. You certainly, the Vikings, Bears, Packers fans, they know. Nobody wants Eric Ebron. <laughs> they watched so much of him in Detroit and how useless that guy was. I couldn't believe it when, so he goes to Indianapolis and he has like a half a good season and puts up some good fantasy football numbers. And suddenly the narrative about him around like the NFL is suddenly that he's like one of these premier tight ends. And, and then, and then you see people who are in like the national media trying to put together plans for how to improve the Packers. And like, Oh, the Packers should go trade for Eric Ebron and Packers fans are like, are you high? He's awful. And then Indy cut him because his coaches hated him. And he went to, uh, didn't he go to Pittsburgh? I swear he went to Pittsburgh. He went to Pittsburgh and my buddy was a big Steelers fan. He's, uh, Ben Roethlisberger's cousin. He texted me. He was so excited. He's like, we got Eric Ebron, dude. And I'm like, dude, you are going to hate him. <laughs> uh, Ebron was the worst. Okay. Uh, 2013 class pick 21, Tyler Eifert. Tyler Eifert's a good tight end. Is he deserving of being a first-rounder? I, I would say no. I would say as a first-rounder, he is disappointed. But is he one of the better tight ends in the NFL? Yes. It is really hard to find a good tight end. And no, I don't think Robert Tunyon is a good tight end. Tyler Eifert is a better tight end than Robert Tunyon. Looking at this list, we are, we've gone all the way back to 2013, 10 years ago. I would say Noah Fant has not been fantastic. He's been good, not great. I would say, uh, Eric Ebron was awful. But that's it. I mean, that's, this is a pretty hefty list of tight ends in the last 10 years, taken in the first round. All right. So who are we missing? Who are the really good tight ends? <clears throat> in the NFL who were not first round picks. Well, Dallas Goddard was a second round pick in 2018. Uh, Pat Fryermuth for the Steelers. Very good. He's a second round pick. Let's see if I, I'm, I'm just looking at uh, who were the highest graded tight ends last year via uh, PFF in the, the top list. Obviously, Zero surprise, your top three are Kelsey, Kittle, and Andrews. After that, it's Dallas Goddard. Then it's, uh, uh, Nicole Pruitt, who is a guy that I have been lobbying for the Packers to go out and get since 2020. It has frustrated me to no end that we won't go get him. Um, and last year he was the fifth highest graded tight end in all of football. And I, I think that that ship has sailed. There's no chance we can go get him now. And I'm just annoyed that Gudikins never saw him. Uh, then you got Taysom Hill. We all know where Taysom Hill came from. Uh, Chigazium Okwunku. He was a fourth round pick last year. So it was one year sample size. We'll have to see if he can maintain that. Pat Fryer, we talked about. 
David Njoku, first-round pick. TJ Hawkinson, first-round pick. Kyle Pitts, first-round pick. Down at 12, we have Darren Waller, sixth-round pick in 2015. Jordan Akins is tied with him for number 12, uh, third-round pick for Houston. Jordan Akins had a good year last year. He had a good year in 2020. His other three seasons, he's been awful. 2018, 2019, and 2021, it was bad. So had he been good in 2021, I think you'd look at this three-year stretch from 2020 through 2022 and say, okay, he's kind of figured it out. I don't know that we can definitively say that with the fact that 2021 was his worst season ever. I digress. Okay, um, we are now into the territory of guys you've never heard of. Josh Oliver. Here's Will Disley. Everybody knows who Will Disley is. Uh, Gerald, uh, Gerald Everett. Will Disley was a fourth-round pick. Gerald Everett was a second-round pick. A lot of second-round picks here in the top 20. Uh, Austin Hooper. Forgot about that guy. Austin Hooper was a third-round pick. Uh, he is currently with the Tennessee Titans. He was, uh, picked in 2016. Dalton Schultz for the Cowboys was, wasn't he a fourth rounder? Yeah, he was. Fourth rounder. So it seems like the fourth round seems pretty good for, uh, tight ends. Second round, it's first, second, and fourth. This is where we're, we're seeing all these hits. Of course, the Packers keep taking swings in the third round. <laughs> uh, Colby Parkinson for the Seattle Seahawks. Never heard of him. All the way down at 20, we've got Cole Komet. Wasn't he a second rounder? Yeah, second rounder in 2020. Here's Evan Engram, tied for 20. I think you can say a couple things. One is that a first round swing at tight end seems to pay off. We really only had really just the Eric Ebron example of, well, and, and Tyler Eifert of First round tight ends really not being worth their first round pick. I think you're also seeing, you know, if you reverse engineer this and look at, well, who are the good tight ends and where were they taken? Seems like a lot of them have come from the second and fourth rounds. So, you know, if you want to hang back and wait and take a guy in the second round, I certainly understand that. If you're, if you're saying pick 15 is just too rich for a tight end. I do, I, I understand the sentiment, but it's not really borne out in the data. If you look at the tight ends here, uh, let's see, on my big board, um, we don't have any athleticism numbers here in terms of like RAS or Spark or anything for some of these top guys like Dalton Kincaid. Uh, Michael Mayer is at an 8. Uh, it's just interesting and relevant to me because we just now got these numbers for the first time uh, because the combine just ended. Darnell Washington, 985. Sam Laporta, 926. Tucker Craft, 958. Luke Schoonmaker, 975. These guys are all uh, very, very athletic. Luke Musgrave, 995. That's, I think, the highest one on here. Yeah. Uh, Davis Allen out of Clemson, 877. Brenton Strange out of Penn State, 892. Josh Weil, Cincinnati. I mentioned that he didn't grade out very well. He had a good athleticism number, 886. Zach Kuntz out of 
Old Dominion had a 10, so I guess he was the highest. And then Will Mallory out of Miami sitting at 919. So those are the really athletic guys. Um, Michael Mayer at 808, a little bit lower. What I like about him, he had the highest grades, uh, really, really played well in college, just consistently awesome all the time. Now, guy who we don't have testing numbers for, but who had uh, very similar grades, except that his run blocking was a 58 instead of Michael Mayer's 82. Dalton Kincaid graded out almost as well uh, across the board, a slightly higher receiver grade, 91.8, as opposed to Mayer's 91.6. So Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, these are the guys uh, who, you know, if, if you go back and you look at who have been the really good tight ends in, or, you know, who, who do get drafted. A lot of the guys who are super duper freak athletes get taken super early, but tight end is just one of those positions as, as far as my research has ever indicated where you just got to find the guy who graded out the best in college. And that's, who's going to grade out the best in the NFL. That's who's going to be the best and most productive player. So Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, these are the two highest graded dudes. Uh, I would say Noah Gindorf out of uh, North Dakota State graded out very similarly across the board to those guys. And then kind of a distant fourth, but still right there uh, pretty much on the cusp, Darnell Washington out of Georgia. Now, Darnell Washington has the advantage of being a physical freak. I think Darnell Washington should be the first tight end drafted. Dalton Kincaid, right up there as well. I think those are, you know, Darnell Washington, Dalton Kincaid, and Michael Mayer. Those are my, those are my big three. But like you look at uh, a, a George Kittle, for example, super high grades in college, falls to whatever the fourth round, sixth round, something. And then is just a mind-blowing stud in the NFL. And everybody's like, man, where'd this guy come from? And it's like, well, I don't know. He, he was that good in college. And you ignored it. <laughs> uh, so I'm not ignoring that anymore. The tight ends who grade out the best in college, those are the guys that I want in the pros. And if you have the um, top-end athleticism as well, uh, great. I'm happy about that. But I care, I care the most about how you graded in college because that seems to be the best indicator, as far as I can see, of how well you're going to do in the pros. Uh, Luke Musgrave, a lot of people are really high on him. And I, I know that he played better in 2021 than he played in 2022. And he did not play very much in 2022. He only played 80 snaps. Uh, but, you know, to me... Uh, <clears throat> I just, I just don't see it. He didn't even grade out well in 2021. He actually, in his limited sample size in 2022, despite everybody telling you that 2021 was his really good year and 2022 he was hurt and didn't get a chance to do much, he graded out higher in 2022 than he did in 2021. I'm out on Luke Musgrave, completely out. Maybe he will surprise me and end up being a stud, but I am out. I don't have any interest in him. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker for Michigan. To me, he's just a very limited dude. He's he's uh, extremely athletic. He had 
uh, not great grades, but they were just okay. I, I just, I'm, I'm not in on Luke Schoonmaker. I saw him play at Michigan. To me, he's, he's, uh, Mercedes Lewis, but a worse receiver. And, you know, not, not as, not anywhere near as good of a, a blocker as, uh, Mercedes Lewis. But I'm just saying the way that you think of Luke as, as sort of just limited to being a pass blocking tight end, that's kind of what I see in Luke. He's a bad run blocker, not a great receiver, super athletic, but then didn't display that on the field. He didn't look athletic on the field. I just, I'm out on Luke Schoonmaker. One sleeper guy to keep an eye on. I guess, I guess there's two here. Two sleepers, uh, up in the, in the really high grades, you know, basically a 90 grade. Nick Collarup out of Minnesota. I need to watch him. I don't know very much about him. Um, the biggest issue that I have is he's kind of exclusively a run blocking tight end. He very poor pass blocker, very poor receiver, but just kind of a freak among freaks in run blocking. So, you know, as a fit for a Packer draft pick, uh, especially later on in the draft, Nick Collarup out of Minnesota. That's a guy to keep your eye on. And then I already mentioned Noah Gindorf out of North Dakota State. The problem that I have is just that he didn't do any of the agility stuff at all at the combine. Didn't run the 40, the 10-yard split. Didn't run the three-cone. Didn't do the vertical jump or the broad jump. So just a really limited amount of information we have about him as an athlete. But he graded out really well. Uh, he did 16 reps on the bench. That's not great. Tucker Craft had 23. Zach Kuntz had 23. Will Mallory had 20. Brenton Strange had 23. Darnell Washington had 21. Braden Willis had 20. So Noah Gindorf's 16 is not just the lowest. It is the lowest by far of anybody who did the bench. And that's the only testing numbers that I have on him is the bench. Uh, he's got decently big hands at 10 inches. Uh, arm span is a 33-1-3. That's not bad. Seems like he's kind of a bigger guy. He's six foot six, 263 pounds. He's a big boy, uh, which makes me slightly nervous about the fact that he can only do 16 reps on the bench. But um, I don't know. It's, it's probably not a super important drill. But that would be the guy to watch, uh, Noah Gindorf. The uh, sleeper here among your, I mean, you got your big three. I would say Darnell Washington, probably tight end one for me. And then Michael Mayer and then Dalton Kincaid. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put probably Noah Gindorf is at number four, but there's a big asterisk because I just don't know much about his athleticism. And I think that's it. I, I think I like those four tight ends. After that, Sam Laporta out of Iowa checks most of the boxes. He's a good receiver as well. I just don't see anybody else who really sticks out to me. Like Tucker Craft out of uh, South Dakota State was not super impressive, uh, but he had good athletic testing numbers, went to a ridiculously tiny school and didn't put up good grades there. I just, I think this is about it. It's, it's, it's four, it's, it's the big three. 
Then it's Noah Gindorf with a question mark. And then it's Sam Laporta. To me, Sam Laporta is like your, you know, fourth round swing at tight end. And I think that's about it. I'm just not that big on anybody else. So, you know, Josh Weil out of Cincinnati was getting some love. I'm just, I'm kind of out. Zach Kuntz out of Old Dominion turned a lot of heads with his freak uh, testing numbers at the combine. He had a, a, a 10 RIS, which is perfect. I just, I don't, I just didn't see it, you know, anywhere else in the numbers. I, I just don't, I don't see a guy who makes me believe he's going to thrive in the NFL. So I think if you want a tight end, I think you're going to have to take a guy by your second round pick. I think that's going to, you got, you got two picks to do it in. I think if you want Darnell Washington, you got to take him at pick 15. I think, uh, Michael Mayer probably, I think one of Michael Mayer or Dalton Kincaid is probably available at pick 45. And then that, that is probably your last chance at a, a quality tight end with the exception of Noah Gindorf. If Goody likes Noah Gindorf, um, if, if what he saw of him on tape, um, and, and the numbers that they have in terms of, and maybe he, maybe he does stuff at his pro day and he can get some numbers there about, about how athletic he is. So maybe that's an opportunity for Gindorf to kind of cement himself as, as one of the, uh, one of the other really top tight end prospects here. Um, I do think that Goody is going to be interested in Luke Schoonmaker. I'm not. If we draft Luke, I'm going to, have to suck it up and and find a way to be happy and and support him and all that but i just watching him in in college i was just like i i don't get this guy i i don't get the nfl hype for him is is basically what it came down to all right one last thing so uh we get shoot what's the guy's name uh tater 12 tater 12 had sent his list of guys who he felt met the Packers uh, uh, thresholds and, and all that and seemed like logical picks for them at 15 or just in general, I guess. Here's a an expanded list that I have. It's a little bit slightly longer, but a lot of the same names. Christian Gonzalez, cornerback out of Oregon. Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver out of Ohio State. Michael Mayer, tight end out of Notre Dame. Again, Michael Mayer just barely clears that. Uh, if you are using an 8 RAS as the threshold, he's an 8.08. Lucas Van Ness, edge rusher out of Iowa. Keely Ringo, cornerback out of Georgia. And I think that Goody is really going to like Keely Ringo. And I hate <laughs> Keely Ringo's uh, college tape. I, I, he, th- this dude is like Rashawn Gary but like a caricature of him in terms of be, being an NFL prospect. Keely Ringo is everything that you could ever want athletically and physically. And then he didn't do Jack in college watching Keely Ringo. I was like, I don't, I don't fear this guy at all. If I'm a wide receiver, uh, you can burn him so easily. I, uh, I, I just I hate watching him play in college. Yes, his 
ceiling is super, super high because of the athleticism. If you think you can coach him up and turn him into a long-term stud in the NFL, you know what? I, you gotta trust, you gotta trust your process and trust your gut. And I think Goody is, is gonna consider drafting him. I, I just don't like him. I, I don't. <laughs> uh, wide receiver out of Tennessee, Jalen Hyatt. Luke Musgrave, tight end, Oregon State. I already told you what I think of Luke. I think he's a bad football player. Derek Hall, edge rusher out of Auburn. Darnell Washington, tight end out of Georgia. Cody, um, shoot, I forgot to look up how you say this guy's last name. Is that Mach or Mock? We'll say Mach. Cody Mach or Mouch. Offensive lineman out of North Dakota State. This dude is a, he is a nutcase. In the best way possible. Go look up Cody Mach. Look up a photo of him. M-A-U-C-H. North Dakota State. Dude looks like a psycho pirate. <laughs> uh, I, man, he would be fun to watch. Uh, he's, he's very, very good. <clears throat> Not even gonna try and say this guy's full name, but Ade Ade, uh, addresser out of Northwestern. Jordan Battle, safety out of Alabama. Julius Brents, defensive back out of Kansas State. And I remember Chris Giacome sent me Julius Brents as well as a guy that he is really interested in. So this is a guy I'm going to um, ink in here as a possible pick for the Packers. Probably in the first round, honestly. Riley Moss, defensive back, Iowa. Luke Schoonmaker, tight end out of Michigan. Woohoo! Schoon! You guys know I'm a huge Schoon fan. And then Evan Hull, running back out of Northwestern. So what is this list? This is the list of, pa- of of prospects the Packers have met with who have an eight or higher RAS. By the way, I'm changing my mind a little bit. I don't, I, I think, I think uh, Julius Brents is a second round prospect for the Packers. In terms of does it matter if the Packers meet with a guy? Who knows? Last year they drafted six guys they met with. 2021 they drafted zero guys they met with. So, and it's, it's all over the place. And I, I said for a while that I thought that they meet with the guys that they have the most questions about. And I still think that that is true to some extent. I will tell you, here's, here's my guy. Cause, cause Taylor 12 was asking who, who he thinks that, uh, or who I think that the Packers are going to realistically target. Who's a, a good, the best fit. I will tell you, my guy is Jackson Smith and Jigba. I have, I have fallen head over heels for this guy. I just think he profiles so well, uh, as a comparison to Justin Jefferson. He really, really does. And then I have watched his whole career at Ohio State. I've watched him play. You guys know I, I liked Garrett Wilson last year. He was my second wide receiver. I had Drake London was wide receiver one. Garrett Wilson was wide receiver two. I was lower on Chris Olave. Still liked him, but he was, I think, my wide receiver four last year. So I was a little lower on him. I, I never really wanted Olave to the Packers. That did, that I, I would have liked Garrett Wilson to the Packers, but Olave to me was, was not um, very Packery. I, I, I just didn't see 
uh, Gutekunst going after Chris Olave. But Jackson, he's bigger uh, and tall. He, he, he's heavier and taller than both Garrett and Chris. Garrett and Chris both said before Jackson's breakout 2021 season, they were asked who is the best wide receiver on the team, and they both said Jackson Smith and Jigba, and then he had that explosive, you know, explosion year um, and then didn't play at all in 2022. I think Jackson can be your Devontae Adams. I really do. I just am absolutely in love with the idea of pairing Jackson and Christian Watson together. I think that they are so extremely complimentary. This was a huge, huge factor in how he was able to be so freaking productive in 2021 was you had uh, Chris Olave stretching the field like crazy and, and Garrett Wilson doing his thing. And Jackson Smith and Jigbo was eating you alive underneath. And I think he can come to Green Bay and do the exact same thing with Christian Watson, uh, you know, and, and Romeo Dobbs will, will probably do his thing. I think Jackson has a fantastic release off the line of scrimmage like Devontae Adams had. I think his route running is very, very crisp. I think he's so, so deadly after the catch. This is where he excels. He hurts you once the ball is already in his hand. All right, Christian Watson is largely like, I'm going to get down the field really far and then catch it. Jackson is a lot more of like the plays that we saw from Christian where, you know, think about that uh, touchdown reception from Jordan Love in the Eagles game where he catches a ball for, I don't know, what, 12 yards, something like that. And you're like, oh, nice. And then he goes all the way for a touchdown. That's the kind of crap that Jackson Smith and Jigba does all the time. He is so deadly after the catch. That is where he excels. He's so shifty. Uh, he just, he plays mind games with you. It makes you guess wrong and, and go the wrong way. And then he's off like a shot. He's so elusive. And man, he, he tested well. Um, so he did not run the 40 time. Uh, I talked to some Ohio State reporters. They said that Jackson told them that he just has not been practicing to run the 40. And although he believes he's fast, we all do know that running the 40 and having a good 40 time is more about your 40 technique. And not that it has nothing to do with your speed, but... Like there, there's guys like Cooper Cup who Cooper Cup is, is crazy fast. And the Rams knew that because they used satellite imagery to track how fast he was going in college games. And then he went to the combine and ran just this garbage, garbage 40 times, like a four, six, five or something stupid. So he falls in the draft and the Rams get him. And of course you watch him play in the NFL. And it's like, no, no, he's blazing fast. Running the 40 is a lot about technique. And Jackson said the reason he didn't run the 40 at the combine is because he's not been practicing that because he's just been coming back from his hamstring injury. I don't think Jackson is a burner. He is not super crazy fast. Um, he does have an unofficial 40 time that was clocked at one point of 448. Uh, you know, is, is that real? 
who knows? I, I think that, you know, if he run, I, I, I'm expecting him to run like a four, five, four, five, five, something like that. If he runs like a four, four, five, I, I just, I don't know why I have, I have, I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't take him at pick 15. I just can't. And then I, I think that, uh, Nolan Smith, uh, outside linebacker from Georgia, I think he's a dude who is, very, very likely to be our first round pick for the Packers. I just do. He just seems to me to check all of Goody's boxes. Just seems like the guy. He's a little bit smaller, but just an insane stud athlete. We'll see as we get closer if somebody else jumps out at me as being like way more obvious of a, um, you know, suspected first round swing for Goody, but you know, Nolan Smith is not expected to go that high. This is what Gudikins always does. He locks in on a guy with elite athleticism who's considered a little bit of a later prospect viewed as, as a slight reach, but not a horrible reach. This is just who he always goes for. And credit to him, seems like it pretty much always pays off. You know, maybe Christian Gonzalez is a target. I'm not super interested in taking a corner unless we're going to be moving on from Rasul Douglas um, at some point, like next year. But still, I, I don't know. I just, I of all the positions on the team where we have needs, I just don't view corner as a, a really big need. I think we need a slot corner, you know, unless we're going to make Darnell Savage our full-time slot corner, which maybe, maybe. Um, but I, I just think that we already have a little bit of redundancy in the corner room. I think that Rasul is just redundant to Eric Stokes. You know, it's, it's like Rasul was kind of useless for us all year until Stokes got hurt. And then we gave Rasul Stokes's job. And then all of a sudden Rasul remembered how to play football again, because he's back at his, at his uh, boundary position where he actually plays well. So I personally, I think corner is the one position I don't want to take. Um, but I, I, I do think that the Packers really want a tight end. I also think they really want a wide receiver. Jackson Smith and Jigba met with the Packers and he was asked, Hey, what'd you think of your meeting with him? And he said, I'll tell you this. They really do want a wide receiver. They're very serious about it. So I, I, a lot of people are, are mocking um, offensive line to us, you know, a tackle. I'm not super big on Peter Skronsky. He's got way, way shorter arms than what anybody was hoping he was going to um, going to measure at. And I have heard multiple NFL teams say they just view him as a guard. And I don't really want to take a guard at pick 15. Can the Packers make him work at tackle? You know, it's a question worth exploring. But there are for sure NFL teams that do not view him as an NFL tackle. They view him as a guard. I don't think Paris Johnson Jr. is going to be available at pick 15. I think he's going to go like a good five or six picks before that. So, you know, you're probably looking at a Broderick Jones, Anton Harrison, Cody Mouch type of guy. And do you want to take them at pick 15? I think I, I've, I've seen a lot of consensus that people would be okay with taking Broderick Jones at pick 15. Um, have not really seen those other two guys mocked 
as high as that. I really think the Packers are are going to target uh, edge rusher, tight end, or wide receiver at pick fifteen. I, I and and if you're going wide receiver, in my mind, there's only two options. There's Quentin Johnson, and there's Jackson Smith and Jigba. And you know, Quentin Johnson very impressive physically. You know, I think that your your you know preference is, is going to come into play a lot here, whether your wide receiver one is Quentin Johnson, whether it's Jackson Smith and Jigba, whether it's uh, Zay Flowers. I, I think those are the only three guys that are really in contention to be wide receiver one. Um, I Get out of my face with this Jordan Addison hype. That, that dude, is, no, he is not it. <laughs> oh, dang, look at the time. I got to get going. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Check me out on Twitter at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y. Don't forget, I got a Google Voice phone number. You can call in and leave voicemails at 231-714-4195. I'll play them on the show. You send me your thoughts, your questions. I'll play them here and react or answer. Uh, and uh, I would like to get some of that going for the draft or whatever whatever questions you have. I'm curious what you guys are thinking about uh, this quarterback transition that is maybe or maybe not happening like i said you know news is changing so quickly by the time this episode gets posted this afternoon rogers might be a jet or he may have decided he's gonna come back and you know be a packer for life never know no could anything could happen or we could continue to just hear all these random crazy things that are happening with, with no real traction in one direction or the other. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you all next week here on the Packernet Podcast Network.